I plan on still being an active mentor and advocating for military medicine and advocating for USUHS and just really being walking propaganda to let people know this great opportunity. Welcome to War Dogs, the military medicine podcast. This show brings you a firsthand, behind-the-scenes look into the mission, unique opportunities, and deployed experiences of the entire military healthcare team. From state-of-the-art hospitals in the United States to the most austere environments across the globe, War Docs has you covered. On this episode of War Docs, we speak with Uniform Services University of the Health Sciences student, Ensign Alexis Russell. Alexis is a third-year medical student at USU's who started her enlisted Navy career in 2010 and then successfully completed the Enlisted to Medical Degree Preparatory Program, EMDP2, in 2019. She relates her story and describes the pathways available for enlisted personnel to join military medicine as a commissioned officer in a variety of healthcare fields. She provides excellent advice for those wishing to follow their dreams and forge a pathway to a career in medicine. Find out more about Ensign Russell and our previous guests on our website, wardoxpodcast.com. I'm your host, Dr. Doug Soderdahl, retired Army urologist, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Dr. Wayne Causey, active duty vascular surgeon. Today, we're privileged to welcome current Yushu student, Ensign Alexis Russell to Wardox. Alexis, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. Alexis, you are no stranger to the military as you joined in 2010. Tell us about your background and what your process was for joining the military. I knew I wanted to be a doctor prior to joining the military. I started going to college at 16 because I had enough credits to graduate. And there was a program in Nevada that allowed for individuals to apply. And if they were accepted, they were placed into this program that allowed them to take college for the last two years of what would be their high school curriculum. But instead, we just took college courses. So I got my associates understanding that I wanted to become a doctor. But after completing my associates, I didn't have the financial support to continue. So I joined the military as enlisted. I came and wanted to be a corpsman just because I felt like that would put me closer in the medical field to eventually become a doctor. However, it was overmanned. I think that's the story <laughs> of everyone who wants to be a corpsman who eventually did it. I scored relatively high on the ASVAP. So they offered nuke to me, but ultimately I came in as an interior communications electrician. So this was mostly a detour with the ultimate goal still becoming a doctor somehow, some way, once in the military. So tell us a little bit about that initial training. Are you doing any medical training at all, or is it completely just boot camp for your Navy job? Before boot camp, I did go and shadow. Once I was in the Navy, I made sure to get all my qualifications and try to make rank as quickly as possible. So I made E5 in two years and got my surface pin, my air pin, and my information dominance warfare pin. After that, I had a lot more time to volunteer as well as shadow. So I surrounded myself with medical mentors to assist me and guide me because I really didn't have anyone prior to that to understand what the steps were to even get to medical school or become a doctor. So those individuals who were on my first ship on the USS Theodore Roosevelt were very essential and just taking me under their wing and showing me my options within the military towards going into medicine. What was the best advice that you got from one of those mentors? And was it a doc? Was it a corpsman? Who gave you the mentorship advice? I got a 
a lot of good mentors that I still keep in contact till this day. I think my fondest memory was with my mentor. He's currently retired as EMC, right? He basically just told me, you know, I understand you don't want to be an electrician. Like that's not your trajectory, but ultimately you give your best in any position that you're put in because ultimately it's going to show your integrity, it shows your work ethic, and it shows how hard you're willing to work, whichever position you're put in. So when you actually do get into the position that you want to be in, you have already proven to those that are either recommending you or those who will be eventually directing you that you can flourish and that you can adapt to any position. So I really took that with me. I've played many roles in the military and I just made sure to give my best in each role, even if it was somewhere I didn't necessarily want to be at the time. I just made sure to put my best foot forward. So tell us some stories and what your actual electrician job was when you were on the USS Theodore Roosevelt. As an intercommunication electrician, I actually did A school. And then right after A school, I went to C school for ILARTS, which is the Integrated Launch Recovery Television System Program. That allowed me to have the training to record the launch recovery of the aircraft coming onto the ship. So I was essentially placed outside of my raid. I was working in air department for most of my career. And I think, honestly, that gave me a lot more time than if I was to be a combat IC man. So ultimately, like I said, I made a break very quickly. So I was a supervisor over two work centers and did a lot of extracurriculars on the ship as far as starting the junior enlisted association on our ship, being part of CSAT, mentoring other sailors under me. And I really had a great time doing the job that I did. We got to go on deployment in 2015. And it was definitely some interesting situations that happened where I actually was on watch. So I'm just happy that I was prepared and had all the qualifications to handle those situations, especially in like a high stressful environment on deployment. Did you see any medical stuff going on on the ship or try and shadow the folks that are doing the medical there? Yes. As much as I could, I would go down to talk to the corpsmen, see what I could do, get qualified there. The incident On the Roosevelt, we actually had an aircraft go into the water, and I was on watch. So I had to make sure I caught all the angles of what happened. But for me, what was more important than catching the angles was seeing the medical team come on the scene and help those pilots. They both survived. They had a few broken bones, but ultimately just seeing all the medical providers there and just knowing what to do, it just, I was like, okay you need to get into that field. Like that's where you really want to be at. So that was just another event that propelled me to finish up my degree and get back on the track of becoming a doctor myself. So tell us about that track. What kind of things did you have to do in order to get yourself in a position where you could be considered to go to medical school or considered for some kind of program that allowed you to get the prerequisites to get into medical school? I came in with my associates already. So ultimately, I only need to finish my bachelor's. I started at Old Dominion University while I was currently on the USS Theodore Roosevelt. So I would work through the day and then take classes at night. In 2015, we were told we were going on deployment. and I did not want to stop with my degree plan. So I had to find a program that would offer me the opportunity to still stay in school and finish up my bachelor's while also being actively deployed. 
I ended up stumbling upon the University of Phoenix having a biological science degree and enrolled. And throughout the entire deployment, I was going to school. It was definitely tough standing watch and doing my job. Ultimately, that came first. But just making sure that I maintained my grades. I did maintain all A's except my first class. We went into River City for a couple of weeks and the instructor wasn't accommodating, which is fine. I ended up getting a B in that class, but it was definitely hard because you never knew when River City was going to happen. I did request to work nights so that I could have better internet because most people weren't up at the time and it allowed me to get through my curriculum and take my test. So essentially I completed the majority of the rest of classes that I needed while I was on deployment and then only had a few left once I finished our deployment in 2015. Once I did graduate in 2017 with my bachelor's of science, I was in Arizona at the time as a recruiter. So I would go shadow at the time, Dr. Brown, she's an orthopedic surgeon and she was also reserves in the Navy. So I went and interviewed with her to tell her I want to become a doctor and I'm currently a recruiter, which she might allow me to shadow her after work. And she did, even though she had like a long list of individuals who were trying to shadow her, she let me start right away. So that was really a great opportunity and experience. And I was very grateful for that. So after I completed my work shift, sometimes like it'd be earlier, I'd go to her office and shadow. If I had any off time, I would go and shadow just to get experience being the OR, see patients, and just really understand what being a doctor really was. After that, while I was on recruiting, I did request to go to the enlisted side. I was currently a metal recruiter, but we had a failing station. So I requested to go help that station out. We ended up turning that failing station to the number two large station. And during that time, I was also able to apply to the enlisted to medical preparatory degree program. I did not get accepted the first time. And so I was pretty sad and upset about that because I did vet a lot of high-ranking officers, a lot of physicians, and they all felt like I was the shoe-in. So I was really upset that I didn't get accepted the first time, but I didn't let that stop me. I just picked up pieces, reached out to the individuals who were in charge of the program to see how I can make those changes in my application so that I could actually get accepted. I also requested an interview with Dr. Green at the time to come and visit her in Maryland, even though I was in Arizona, to just sit down, talk with her, and just see what I could fix about my application to be accepted. So I applied to EMDB2. I actually also applied to MESIP as well because I felt like, well, if I can't get through EMDB2, maybe I can go the nursing route and become like a doctor of nursing. Fortunately, to my surprise, I got selected for MESIP the first time, which I was very surprised. I know a lot of people who have applied to that program multiple times and to get accepted the first time, I was very blown away. A couple months after I found out, I was accepted to EMDP2. So I went the EMDP2 route. So tell me one thing. What is River City? River City is when the entire ship's comms are off. So there's no internet access. You can't call anyone. And most of the times there's an emergency that's going on the ship that they do not want anyone to talk about until they figure out what exactly is going on. But there's many reasons that we go into River City when you're on the ship. But most of the time is there's some emergency that's going down. So you can't receive communication and we can't send out communication. You were on both the USS Theodore Roosevelt and the George Washington. 
When you were doing your schooling, was the military helping you in your degrees as financially and enabling you to have some time off to do your classes and your homework? I would say financially, absolutely. I used the tuition assistance, and I think that's a phenomenal program. Because I was a full-time student, I ran out of the 16 allotted credits you get annually relatively quickly. So some of the stuff I did had to come out of pocket, as well as did the GI top-up, where I used some of my GI bill to continue my education. So financially, absolutely. They were phenomenal in assisting me with that. And having those programs as an enlisted member was really essential in me getting my degree. As far as time-wise, I didn't really request time off. I didn't want any special treatment. I just made sure I did my job. They trusted me. They trusted I would get the job done. And that gave me more time to go out and volunteer or go shadow. So most of the time, this is my own, my own time. Like my first few years of military was very structured because I had to make sure that not only was I excelling as a sailor, but also making sure that I'm pouring back into myself because I ultimately knew that I had goals to accomplish and no one else was going to do it for me. Like I had to do it myself. So if another sailor or service member were to go up to you and say, what percentage of the finances did you have to cover for your schooling? And then how did you find the schools that you wanted to apply to that gave you the requirements that you needed? I would sit down with them and see, first of all, what are they interested in? I think there are a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to going into medicine. Everyone who serves a medical position are very important, but I think the lines kind of cross and people really don't understand just between like an MD or a nurse practitioner or a nurse. So essentially when sailors come to me discussing like mentorship or just how to proceed to the next step, we first sit down and say, okay, what do you really want to do? What is your passion? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Once we establish which route they want to go, then we will sit down and discuss what schools offer those programs. Unfortunately, University of Phoenix no longer offers the biological science program. I found that out while mentoring a sailor who was trying to do a similar route as I did. So we had to research some other schools, but definitely just let them know to have tangible goals. I think becoming anything in medicine can be overwhelming if you try to take it on with the big picture. I think setting small tangible goals putting check boxes and dates next to those goals will help you accomplish those goals without the extra added stress. Once we figure out what school, then just understand what their requirements are making sure if they say you need this GPA or you need this SAT score, this ACT score, take the classes. Like I remember sitting one summer in an SAT prep class with high schoolers. I mean, at the time I was in my 20s. And it probably felt like a little demeaning, but at the end of the day, I hadn't seen this curriculum in so long that I need to refresh on it. So just be willing to humble yourself, take the extra classes you need to make sure that you're successful on these exams that they need you to take in order to apply these programs. And then ultimately just telling them to surround themselves with mentors and individuals who are already in those positions. So that way they don't have to go in blindly. They understand, okay, this is the next step, or these are the challenges I may come up against and how can I adequately overcome them? So you mentioned that the first time you applied for the enlisted to medical degree preparation program, you did not get in. What is it that they're looking for from applicants? I think for EMDP2, the biggest thing is they are looking for a well-rounded applicant. 
So you can have the 4.0, you can have the high test scores, but if you don't have the leadership, if you don't have the empathy, if you don't have the compassion or the drive and the will to really be an advocate for the sailors that you'll be a doctor over, they are not necessarily going to just select you just because you have a high GPA or you went to like an Ivy League school. They really uphold the whole person ideology because I feel like it goes directly into what USU HS looks for. And EMDB2 ultimately is supposed to be that bridge towards going to USU HS. So I always mentor individuals seeking to apply to EMT2 and let them know you have to be more than just your scores and just your grades. And that also applies to individuals that may have the bare minimum scores as well. There are other parts of this application where you can shine. I just feel like they're looking for someone who's actually dedicated to the mission of military medicine and not just, oh, this is a great opportunity for me just to go to school and not work, or this is a great opportunity for the military to pay for my school. So I think that's where a lot of individuals should take consideration. Have I performed leadership roles? Am I compassionate about this? Is this something I could see myself doing 20 or more years? Those are the hard questions you have to ask yourself before applying to this program. You talked a little bit about the pathways to becoming a physician from enlisted becoming a nurse. What if you're interested in other parts of the medical field, PT, OT, physician assistant, medical service corps officer? Does the military have any programs that help enlisted who are interested in joining those areas as a commissioned officer? Absolutely. There are so many programs for an enlisted individual to actually accomplish those goals of physician assistant or OT, or even there's actual spot for individuals who's interested in bugs, I can't think of the name. Sorry, I'm trying to think of it right now. Like entomology. <laughs> yes, there is a spot. I was so surprised to even find that out. And I didn't find out about all these programs until I went recruiting and I had to learn all the opportunities they have. So, yes, absolutely. There are so many programs that will allow you to stay either active duty or temporarily get out pursue your career, and then come back active as that role. Essentially, the biggest thing is just finding a mentor. I try to mentor as many people as possible, whether they want to go to medical school or not. And I always tell them, I don't have the best advice for you because I'm not in your particular field, but I will seek someone out who can answer those specific questions that you are seeking. But ultimately, you just have to have a really good foundation regardless of what program you go to, because Yes, you're going to become a nurse practitioner or a PA or a doctor, but ultimately you're an officer and you need to have those core values to make sure that you can be a leader within the military. So we had interviewed Dr. Althea Green that you had mentioned earlier in your program as she was leading the EMDP2 program. Tell us an inside look into the program from your side, having gone through the program and just give us a, what it's like to be a student in that program. I feel like EMDP2 is hitting the lottery if you want to go into medicine and you don't necessarily have the financial means or you don't have the direction it takes to get into medicine. So I will advocate and talk about this program for the rest of my time because I just feel like it's a grand opportunity Being someone who's now graduated from EMDP2 and looking back, 
the program really sets you up for success. But what I tell incoming EMD2 applicants is you have to put in the work too. They're going to give you the baseline and the foundation to allow you to succeed. They're going to advocate for you. They're going to provide mentorship. They're going to provide counselors. They're going to provide all of the ingredients to the recipe, but you still have to do the work. You still have to cook it. You have to be committed and still have that drive that got you accepted into the program to successfully get through the program. So they give you the prerequisite classes to take, and they also give you an MCAT prep. For me personally, going through the program, I felt like I did have the tools to essentially execute and successfully get into medical school. However, I did feel like I had to put in that extra time, that extra work, because just because they provide the tools doesn't mean those tools necessarily work for you. And the Kaplan MCAT prep did not work for me. It worked for some of my classmates, but for me personally, it did not work. So I had to seek out another program in order to make sure I successfully passed the MCAT the first time. And that's perfectly fine. We all learn differently, but I just didn't want to waste this opportunity just because one thing didn't work for me. But I felt support the entire time. I felt like as long as I followed directions, I was going to get into medical school. And that's exactly what happened. So anyone who wants to become a doctor who's enlisted, this is literally the best program out there. I do tell people who come to me about the program that essentially, even though this is a great program, it's not always the program for you. So essentially, if you already have your pre-med degree, you only need your MCAT taking those extra two years to attain those prerequisites and apply. Yes, you'd have the counseling and the the mentorship. However, you may not need those extra two years if you already have like a good GPA. For me personally, the program was good because I didn't have any financial support outside this. I've been supporting myself since I was 17 years old. So I didn't feel like I had the financial backing to get out the military and pursue medicine. I didn't go to EMDB2 because I had a suffering GPA. Like my GPA was 3.9. I could have taken an MCAT prep to pass the MCAT. But the direction and the financial stability of just staying active duty for me was the best approach. So I always tell people to just look at the entire program and look at other opportunities because you may be an applicant that can just apply straight to USUHS. But it is a very great program if you are someone in a similar circumstance as myself. Are there separate spots reserved for the different services? Like there's so many Navy, so many Air Force, so many Army. And how many people total are in the program each year? Total as of now, there's 25 spots, five Air Force, five Army, five Navy. But Army, Navy, and Air Force potentially could get more spots if there aren't a lot of Marines that apply. So my class only had one Marine. So those extra spots would be taken by the other branches. My year, I think Air Force had the most people, but it fluctuates every year as far as who's taking those extra spots. So when you're a medical student at USU, you're a second lieutenant or an ensign as you are. When you're in the EMDP2 program, What is your rank and also what is the obligation that you incur by going through the program? Your rank coming in from EMDB2 would be a 01E. I've been in now for, as of November of this year, it would be 13 years. So I get paid as 01E with 10 years because my time stopped when I started medical school. It's different, just depends on like how many years 
even in, but everyone comes in as an O1. If you are not prior service, then you come in as just an O1. But if you're a prior service, you have the time, you'll be an O1E. So the first day of the course is a commissioning ceremony? So we were commissioned right after we graduate EMDP2, way before the actual first day of school. What is your rank when you're at EMDP2? You keep your enlisted rank. You are allowed to take advancement boards to promote. However, for most of us, that was not the priority. The priority was to get into medical school. So myself, I was E5. We had individuals who were E6s, E7s. But essentially, you get paid your rank that you are accepted into EMDP2. And what is the time obligation that you incur by going through the program? The time obligation is two years. You signed a obliser to do two years to pay back for the program. Now, is the pathway strictly to USU only, or can you apply for a health profession scholarship program and apply to other medical schools? How does that work? We are required to apply to USUHS. We also are required to apply to HPSP. Essentially, we want to maximize your opportunity of getting into medical school. Most individuals that go through EMDP2, they have USUHS as their number one choice. However, if you get accepted to any other civilian school with HPSP scholarship, it is still highly recommended. So I personally did apply both to USUHS and HPSP, even though I wanted to go to USUHS. And I was accepted to four civilian schools and then USUHS. But I think for me personally, that gave me, I don't know, it made me happy because I felt like I'm not just a good applicant for USUHS. I'm also an applicant. I could be accepted into a civilian school as well. But I didn't care about that. I want to go to USUHS because I just love their mission. And I already love the environment being on the EMDP2 side. And I just felt like I want to be a USUHS graduate. That was my goal. So I know we strategically coordinated this interview during your fall break. But if someone were to come up to you and say, tell me what you're doing now and what it's like to be a medical student at USU, what would you say? I would say that being an MS3 is very challenging at this point because you are balancing working 60 to 80 hours a week while trying to study for shelf exams. And you are moving every five weeks with only a weekend to get ready for the next clerkship. So it's definitely been challenging. It's a different type of, I guess, hard than it was for pre-clerkship. But with that being said, it's also a great experience because it's like you get this appetizer of what it's like to be a physician. Like the hours they're coming in, you're working side by side with them. Once you kind of build the trust with them, they're allowing you to do procedures. So I'm having a really great time with clerkships, even though they have been very challenging with trying to work and study at the same time. But I would, even in the midst of the challenge and feeling like I'm trying to get over this hump, I still would advocate for USU. Like it's a phenomenal opportunity and I feel like more people need to know about the program. So at USU, you guys wear a uniform to work and to class. Is that correct? For the most part, yes. While you're in class, you will be wearing your uniform. While I've been in the hospital, I've been mostly wearing scrubs 
unless there is some type of curriculum day or if we're going to like a sim lab, we would be required to wear our uniform. But I've mostly been in scrubs this year. Now, do you guys do any kind of field training where you go out and see what it's like to do operational medicine? Yes, actually, that is integrated into each year of medical school at USU. You are actively learning that through your first year. And then after you complete the first year of training, and it's like workshops that we're getting, it's curriculum that we're learning that's implemented into each module. And then in the second year, it's being tested on like what we learned, like TCCC, but just understanding the basics. And then for our third year, I haven't done it yet. It'll be next year. We'll have another opportunity to do some like military medicine. So I think it's appropriately integrated to where it's applicable to the education we're learning when it comes to the medical side, but it's not too overwhelming where we're feeling like we can't really just learn the concepts of the pathophysiology of the different systems and stuff. So I think they do a really great job at integrating it as they can. And then ultimately, they're preparing us for Bushmaster in our fourth year. We get to be patients in the first year for the fourth years. So you kind of get a taste of what is to come. You are getting the military medicine throughout the entire time you are in medical school at USUHS. I think the only time that we've kind of been removed from it is during our clerkship year, just because we are working in the hospital every single day. So you're just getting to your clinical rotations. What do you plan to be when you graduate and what residency do you want to choose? And have you changed your mind based on what you've seen so far? It has been actually very challenging for me because I came in with a very open mind and I kept an open mind even going through clerkship because I want to get every specialty and opportunity to impress me essentially. But I did fall in love with surgery. I think I already did love surgery just because that's what I've been shadowing prior to going to medical school. So I'm definitely on the surgical side. I don't know necessarily if I'm going to reveal to you exactly (laughs) which specialty I'm going to go into, but just know it will be a surgical specialty. To be open-minded is a great thing in medical school because you will find that a lot of times the things that you thought that you really wanted to do, you find something different that really kind of hits your passion that you didn't understand before you actually rotated there. So I think that's a great thing. Keep an open mind, do a good job, work hard. That's awesome. Your clerkship experience made me think of that advice you got when you were on the Theodore Roosevelt was that no matter what you're doing, give it a hundred percent every time. And you never know what you're like. I mean, for me, I, uh, scrubbed into my open AAA at the VA in Augusta, Georgia. And that was it. I was sold. I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a vascular surgeon. What does it take? And just like you I had to plow through general surgery, you had to go through all those other steps in order to get where you wanted to be. But you'll get to your goal as long as you keep focused. I commend you for what you've done. Thank you. So what do you look forward to the most in your future military medical career? Ultimately, yes, serving sailors and their families and being a phenomenal doctor, but I'm very passionate about teaching. So I plan on getting my master's so that I can essentially maybe one day come back to USU and teach. I plan on still being an active mentor and 
advocating for military medicine and advocating for USUHS and just really being walking propaganda to let people know this great opportunity. But I have a lot of goals when it comes to just setting up programs to assist people in getting through this process. I've started that somewhat since I've started the process myself with my YouTube channel and my social medias. I've been able to outreach a lot of individuals, whether they're in the military or civilian, and just assist them how I can and getting closer to getting to medical school, helping them with mock interviews, going over their applications. So essentially when I have more time, I just want to do that on a bigger scale where I can essentially create a nonprofit that will provide the tools necessary to get through the process of applying to medical school. I think a lot of people don't realize how much that takes to just apply. And even if you do all that, you may not even get accepted. So there are some projects I'm working on to try to make that process a little bit easier, as well as just allowing people to understand their opportunities, because a lot of individuals applying do not know the opportunities that are out there for them for going to medical school. Well, we've been speaking with Ensign Alexis Russell on Wardock's podcast. Alexis, thanks again for sharing your experiences and insights with us, and best of luck with your military medicine career. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being invited on. Thank you for listening to Wardocs. We sure hope you enjoyed it. Wardocs is a nonprofit organization supported by donations from listeners like you. Please follow and subscribe to our show on whatever platform you consume your podcasts and rate and review this episode and share the show with your contacts on social media. Find out more information about our show, our guests, and how to become a member of Team Wardocs on wardocspodcast.com. Thank you for your support. If you like war stories and medical drama, Wardocs has you covered. Spread the word.